that travelers may pause and look upon the loveliness depicted there. Then passing on their weary ways, each radiant face may bear, stamped so that time can ne'er efface the image of thy glory and thy grace. Lord, let not one soul think of me. Only let me be a nail upon the wall to hold thy picture in its place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This study this evening on rebellious Jane's glory experience begins with a gem, and I would be happy if all of you would be free to read this scriptural gem with us together. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Here is the secret of the Christian life. To be connected to the Lord, to trust in him instead of ourselves. I want to share with you several experiences tonight of which this is the center. In our team, as we travel from place to place, we quite often have stated that we are like a, we're like a, an electric card. We have two motorhomes just outside of this church. They're connected to the power uh, that is at the church, the outlet of the church we plug into. The cord connects the power that, as far as the church, to our motorhome. We say, you know, somebody could come to that cord and say, you are tremendous. Look at the power there is in that cord. But pull the cord, and how much power is there? Absolutely none. Its power rests in its connection. We have uh, water hoses that connect usually to the church. Somebody can come up to those hoses and say, Wonderful, look at what wonderful hoses you are. My, you supply so much water. Do they supply it? No. They merely connect with it, and it flows through them, but they're not the source. We can say to some Christian, you are tremendous. You are. But when we disconnect from the Lord, how tremendous are we? First experience is my own. Back in 1950, I was holding a series of meetings down in Florida. I was pastor of a church up in Tennessee. I went down with my brother, and the Lord's Holy Spirit was just poured out. We were just keeping very close to him, connected. Really, we could just sense his spirit. As I was about to leave, my brother, two years older than I, said, you know, God has blessed you so much, to me you're almost like a prophet. I went back to my home church, and the next Sabbath preached a sermon, Blessed to the Lord. 
That afternoon, we had a little church gathering of maybe 40 officers. During that gathering, somebody injected a sour note. And uh, I decided that I would uh, handle that. I. I would handle that. So I brought forth from the richness of Glen Coon <coughs> carnality some of the richest sarcasm. On the way home, the Lord caught up with me. A week ago, you were connected with me. And I blessed you so much that your brother even almost thought you were a prophet. A week later, you forgot me. And as you disconnected from me, you engaged in sarcasm. I said, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to immediately start apologizing. Do you apologize when you hurt somebody? When you misrepresent the Lord? Do you apologize? I thank the Lord. My father taught me that I'm to apologize whether anybody else does or not. And that I'm to apologize as though I were the chief offender and not say, now I've apologized, now it's your turn. <laughs> That's no apology at all. As long as I am assuming that somebody else is equally guilty with me, that's no apology. Is that right? That's right. Now I've done my apology, now let's hear yours. That's no apology. That's just a conscience saver. And my father taught me that. So I started contacting every one of these persons who had heard me with this sarcasm. Oh, I talk very sweetly. You know, you can be a very sweet, sarcastic, carnal person. Oh, yeah, I was smiling all the while. I was, I was just, oh, it was rich, sweet, delicious cussedness. I called them on the telephone, every person I could think of, or went to see them. The next Sabbath afternoon, we had a, a gathering in my other church. And uh, before I stood up to speak, I said, brethren, not all of you know, but some of you know, that last Sabbath afternoon, I misrepresented the Lord before a group of officers. And I said, I can't speak until I ask you to please forgive me. I remember there was a medical doctor at my right about three or four seats from the front. And as I said, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? He put his hand in his, his face in his hands and just sobbed for sympathy. He didn't know that a minister could apologize, I guess. Now, what's the lesson? One week in a wonderful relationship with the Lord, a week later, misrepresenting him. And the same afternoon, 
apologizing to the Lord and doing everything I could to straighten things out, connected again. Did you know that you and I can connect with the Lord just that easily and we can disconnect just that easily? We can do it. Don't ever get the impression that because somebody is walking very close to the Lord that it's inherent in himself. It's not. It can cease the moment that he loses contact. Many people have said to me, I knew a minister. Oh, he was a tremendous minister. How in the world would he ever fail? Just lost contact. There's all kinds of power when we're in contact with a mighty deliverer, Jesus Christ. We're weakness itself when we disconnect. That's why you should take that hour with the Lord in the morning. That's why my wife and I have made this a practice for many years. In my ministry, earlier ministry, I would do it often and then I would neglect it. When I did it, there was a contact, a tremendous contact. I was a flame of fire for the Lord. When I neglected it, I was a half-backslidden preacher. And what is true of me is true of every other person. The power comes from him. And nobody can be happy in the Lord unless we're in the Lord. Nobody can have the power of the Holy Spirit unless we're connected to him. And you pull the plug and people say, I wonder why. I don't seem to have any spirit. I don't seem to have any fellowship. It's severed, that's why. Set up a time with the Lord, beloved. Do it. And when you set up that time, plan the day before. That's the way we do. Because I can't go to bed at midnight and still be up the next morning at 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock with time with the Lord. So I, I, I plan the day before. And I found I'm to a lot of Christian gatherings where they will uh, stay up till 10, 11 o'clock, and we excuse ourselves and go because you can't stay up, I can't stay up till 11 o'clock and get up the next morning at the right time. So you plan in advance. There's a time for everything under the sun. Now, I've shared with you how a person can lose the Lord and find him again. Let us share with you the story of rebellious Jane. We go back a little way to, to Helen, whom we talked about two or three nights here. Helen, who had learned and taught how to claim Bible promises. You remember it from last night? Helen, was, Helen Way was a wonderful Christian. And she was the assistant dean of one of our academies. And that year, they had a near riot in school. The next year, she became the dean of the girls. And she, and she claimed Bible promises. We'd never met her. I don't think she knew us from Adam. But she had learned from her experience that she could open God's word and she'd read it from a beautiful author in a book entitled Christ's Object Lessons. Maybe some of you have read that. Page 146. And the author there says, With your Bible in your hand, say, Lord, I claim your promise. With your Bible in your hand. And she'd read that. So as she would get in real crises, she would take the Bible in her hand. Then she found from the same author in another book, a little red book she had, 
text. It's called testimonies. The fifth one, page 322, told about Monica, the mother of Augustine, way back centuries and centuries ago. Augustine was a rebellious boy to the very core. and said his mother would claim a promise and put her finger right on the promise. So Helen Way said, there's nothing magic about putting your hand on a promise. There's nothing magic about putting your finger on it, not at all. But it is a quiet, simple, trusting gesture of faith. And did you know that in the Old Testament times, you can scarcely read a single prayer that was ever offered that was not accompanied by gestures. Did you know that? In other words, as man talks and man acts, his simple gestures are saying to the Lord, Lord, I believe you. And she said as she started as a dean, she said, I, I claim these promises. I claim Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Isn't that the one we read? And lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Another promise that you'd often kneel and put her hand on was James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It shall be given. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. She said, Lord, I pray that there'll be no riots this year. And then she, as she continued as dean, she said, and now, Lord, I pray that, that I may lead the girls in this dormitory into a rich experience and that I may have girls here who will be leaders in spiritual development. She said, whatever the cost is, Lord, and she found the cost was great. For one of the girls who was one of the near rioters who had planned to start school that year, was involved in an automobile accident and was not able to come for six weeks. Another girl who was in the same category, more or less, was also involved in an accident. She finally came about six weeks later and found that the, the spirituality of the school was so sweet, so refreshing, and such a contrast to the experience she had that she, she couldn't stay, and so she left. But there was another girl that did stay, and her name was Jane. And Jane was one of the monitors. You know, a monitor is sort of an assistant dean. And uh, Helen had several of these assistant deans, and Jane was one of them. But the rules of the dormitory were that at a certain hour, all the girls should be in their rooms and should retire. And of course, the, 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 the monitors were to lead in that example. But Jane couldn't do it. She would find all kinds of excuses for not going to bed at the prescribed time. And somehow there was nothing in her that could respond. And Helen would say, Jane, you need it for your own body and soul, and you need it as an example to the other students at the girls' dormitory. And she'd speak to her very kindly again and again, and Jane couldn't do it. 
So finally, Helen said Jane and spoke very kindly. Jane, she said, you must learn. If you don't know how to conform and get your rest, then you must learn. And I must tell you kindly that unless you can conform, you will have to be without a job. At once, Jane was offended. The next day, she was very cool in her attitude toward Jane. And Jane knew that you have one student in a dormitory who is cool, who is disgruntled. It can be like a little leaven going all through, you know. That's the way the devil works. So that evening, that day, she kept claiming God's promises. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. Friends, isn't it too bad when you and I think we can do our thing? We think that we're, we're pretty strong in ourselves. We're just like I was that day that I turned to sarcasm. Helen just fell on her knees crying out to God for guidance. The whole dormitory needed guidance. She didn't know what to do without the Lord. That evening, after the monitors had met and the girls had all gone to bed, Helen heard a, a, a little noise upstairs where she was and went up and took care of it quickly, came back to her room and, and cried out to God again, Lord, you teach me. And she said, just as I was claiming God's promise, a strong impression came to me that I should go into the upstairs, into the worship room, and close the outside door, which the monitors always had closed before. But the impression was so very strong that I said, I must go. She said, as I walked up and opened the door to the worship room, there was some activity up there in front of the speaker's desk. And she said, I stood there very quietly until my eyes could accustom to the darkness. And then I saw there was somebody on the floor. I walked slowly toward this object. And she said, as I draw near, drew near, there was Jane on her knees. And she looked up to me and she said, and she said, she began to cry. Oh, she said, and she said, I said to Jane, would you prefer if I would leave? Would you prefer to fight this out alone? And Jane said, no, no, Mrs. Mrs. Way, will you stay with me? And she said, after a while, Jane was able to control her tears. And she said, she said, Mrs. Way, do you by any chance remember the first time you ever met the Lord? She said, I came in here, I fell on my knees, and I said, how can I expect anything of a person that I don't even know? And so I fell on my knees and I said, dear Lord, you know I don't know you. Would you please reveal yourself to me? 
And she said, as I continued praying and asking him to reveal himself to me, she said, suddenly there was a beautiful presence all through this room. It was rich and blessed. And she said, I said, Lord, is this you? Thinking, of course, how wicked she had been. Could it be so quickly, Lord? The thought was that you'd come to my rescue. And she said, then I said, dear Lord, if this is really you, would you please send somebody to me, an angel or somebody? And she said, I'd no sooner than gotten those words out of my lips than that door opened. And there you stood. Friends, just like I could lose the Lord in a moment by disconnecting, so rebellious, wicked Jane could find the Lord by connecting. Aren't you glad for that? Oh, friends, I have found the most... It's, it's amazing. I have found people who are homosexuals. I have found people who are prostitutes. I found murderers and thieves and adulterers and adulteresses and name it, who as they connected to the Lord, they were like a completely different individual. Pastor Jones will bear me out. It's astonishing. The thief that was beside Jesus Christ on Calvary, cursing him, and then all at once, he connects to that mighty saving power of Jesus Christ. And Christ said, you will be with me in paradise. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vilety washed all my sins away. Oh, friends, if there's one heart here this evening who came in without that connect with Jesus Christ you can have it now you will seek me is his promise and find me when you search for me with all your heart oh think of the prodigal think of that man who had despised his father completely arrogantly left the home took all that it was supposed ever to be his went out and wasted it in riotous living with prostitutes and all the abomination that goes with it, he comes back home and his father rushes out and gives him the best robe, the finest shoes, the best banquet. That's God. Oh, friends, don't you thank the Lord for such a Savior? Now let me ask you this. This being true, don't you say that God's love and forgiveness to you and me is reason enough for us to witness to his love? Do you think that you and I have to wait until we can expound some doctrine before we can tell God, people how God loves us? Put that thought away. You may never be able to completely explain the 2300 days of that wonderful prophecy or the millennium or many other things, but you can go and tell people I found that when I, unworthy though I am, connected to the grace of Jesus Christ, his love flowed into my soul, and he forgave me, and he cleansed me, 
feeling or no feeling, he is my Savior because he can't lie. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. What a wonderful Savior to me. Now the third point is this. I've shared with you what happened to me. I've shared what happened to Jane. Now, my friends, the third is this. God is very, very happy when you and I begin telling people how good he is. The whole, the whole conflict between good and evil has revolved around one thing. Is God good or isn't he? That's what it's all about. If he's a good God, then his law is good. If his law isn't good, he isn't good. The whole thing revolves around who is God. Therefore, the highest form of missionary work is for you and me to cast our little, beautiful, simple, humble testimony before someone else and say, God is good. If you can't say anymore, we can say that. The Lord's been so good to me, hasn't he? How many can say that? Let's see your hand. Let's tell them the Lord's been good to me. The young men who traveled with us, I baptized six years ago out of Drugland, America. Next week, we want to have a, an anniversary, six years. They didn't know how to witness. You know what they did? To start with, they'd pick up the telephone and they'd say, Good morning. Jesus loves you. How about that? Good afternoon. Jesus loves you. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And you know, some people would say, oh, I'm glad somebody does. Another person answered, said, I, I was just ready to commit suicide. And I thought, I'll try just once. And I went through the church list, and I found the church number, and I called. And, uh, and the telephone had rung many times before Brother Steve answered, because we're just guests. Finally, he answered, hello, Jesus loves you. Oh, thank you. I was ready to end it all. My friends, a simple testimony is, is telling the world that Jesus is still good that God is still gracious, that God is fair, that no matter what trials and temptations and pain and suffering death come, it's not the Lord, it's the devil. And let the world know, my friends, that it isn't the Lord that's snatching away from us our loved ones. It is the devil, and it's a long story, and it's a complicated story, and you may want to read it in that beautiful book, Great Controversy, Why Was Sin Permitted? The origin of sin. Beautiful explanation. You can do it. I can do it. It isn't how good we are. Nobody has to wait until he can say, you know, I'm pretty good. Now I can tell how good the Lord is. No, no. It isn't a question of how good we are. It's a question of how good he is. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.